Good evening, Eternal City Church. Keep it down. I hear there's a lot of laughter going on out there. <laughs> Glad to see all you guys. Excited to be here tonight. And those of you who are online, welcome. Um, if this is your first time here with us online or in person, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, we'd hope to get to meet you maybe after service or at a future return. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, you don't know uh, Jesus Christ, don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, we are also very excited that you're here. You're not here by accident. Um, I would like to encourage you to continue to come back. If you're online or if you're, if you're watching us at a later time, Continue to watch, continue to check future ones, um, and we'll be praying for you. Um, tonight, I was ex- the scripture we're going to read tonight is in Lamentations, um, and I just, I just thought it's a really good scripture to open with. It's been, a, it's been some tough times over the last couple of weeks for a lot of families in the church. There's just a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of pretty heavy, heavy stuff, and I think what I love most about the verse is where it talks about the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. Um, And I think when we go through just lots of stuff and lots of trials, it's just always good to remember the Lord is always solid. He's a rock, he's steadfast, he's faithful, and he's always there, okay? And also I wanna celebrate from last night where we celebrated marriages here. We had, I think, 11 couples were here last night with the marriage course, 12 couples, um, which is awesome. And it's a celebration of marriage, the way we look at it. And I thought it was just a really good, fun night for everyone who was there. So, in one other part of the scripture uh, is also, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And we're all here seeking the Lord, whether we're new, whether we're in the midst of um, just coming on uh, to, to knowing the Lord, or whether we're seasoned, I'll say seasoned, maybe. But we're all here to seek him as a, as a family. So, um, before we get started... Uh, just to lay, lay out of the room, the bathrooms, we have the women's room over here, the men's room here. Uh, up front, there's some drinks. In the back, there's coffee, tea. Um, don't forget the bookstore in the back. It's a good, really good layout of books, very well priced, so please stop and take a look at those. If you have prayer concerns or if you have an offering, there's a black box up front here that you can put those in. And lastly, at Eternal City Church, um, we are here to multiply passionate love for Jesus Christ and those made in his image. And we do this by making disciples, making disciples, unifying all people, training and challenging men to lead sacrificially, equipping women for ministry, and planting church, planting churches. And we will go to Mr. Chris. Hey, good evening, everyone. Good to see all of you already filling up the seats. Could it have anything to do with food tonight? I wonder. That's all right. Hey, if it takes us putting on a meal to get you all here, we're happy about that. So if you wonder what I'm talking about tonight is family meal. Uh, This is our Q1 family meal. And so if you're here tonight, uh, you're invited to stay after and have a meal with us. What we'll do is uh, immediately after we say amen, uh, a crew will begin disassembling chairs and putting up tables and reassembling chairs and making this a dining hall. It's amazing how fast it happens. And if you're here, we would love for you to stay and have a meal with us. Uh, we're generally done around 6.30, and then you know, within 10 to 15 minutes, we're in line getting food. Uh, so please, stay for dinner. Uh, we're happy you're here, and we would love to have you stay with us for a meal. Uh, on the last Sunday of every month, 
is Family Sunday, which means the children will be in with us the entire worship gathering. And so normally what happens is as we begin the sermon portion, the children go back to their respected uh, spots, ECC kids in the nursery. But on the last Sunday of every month, we, we call it a family worship. And so we're all here together. And so for those of you who have children, do not worry and stress out over kid noises, okay? Those of you who don't have children, do not, please do not turn around and glare when you hear children noises, okay? They are welcome. We love the children and they're here on purpose and we want them to worship with us. Remember, Jesus said, let the little children come to me for to such belong the kingdom of heaven, okay? And so it's a, it's a great joy to have a room full of kids. It really is. Uh, we would vote that over having a bunch of adults and no kids, amen? All right, good. So tonight is family worship. Uh, parents, just as a reminder, the back table uh, will be full of coloring supplies and coloring sheets, and there will be uh, clipboards for them to, to put under their coloring sheets, and so to keep them a bit occupied uh, during the worship gathering, especially the, the sermon portion. Okay, also, uh, February 2nd, which is coming up very quickly, uh, is our next ladies' night, and this will be hosted by Franny Binkowski in the Binkowski home. And ladies, you have by 128, which is this week, to confirm that you are coming. So if you could please let Franny know, or let Elizabeth Rue know, or let uh, Jackie Features know that you plan to come. That would help them to plan for food and to plan for space and to plan their events. This event is open to all women of the church. There is no restrictions. In fact, I think you're even allowed to bring friends. And so the only ask is please let them know so that they can plan well for this event. So again, this is at Franny Binkowski's home, February 2nd at 6.30 p.m. And if you could RSVP to Franny or Elizabeth or Jackie, that would be really helpful. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, if you don't know who any of those ladies are, if you're brand new, come see me and I will point them out to you, okay? Uh, next is the ladies' Bible study is starting up on 2.17, and they will be going through the fruit of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5. It should be a wonderful study. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you could please sign up by 2.11, so you got about two weeks to sign up, and if you could please let Elizabeth Rue know you are coming, that would be helpful. This is uh, Saturdays from 10.30 to 12.30, and they have already sent out an email with the entire schedule th through the whole year, and uh, they wanted us to, to note that there is no childcare provided for this event. So if you could please uh, get your children uh, watched before you come, that would be super helpful. Okay, next, our members meeting is next Sunday. Uh, we will immediately after worship gathering uh, gather uh, specifically as members, but if you're not a member, we would also encourage you to stay and hear what's going on at Eternal City Church. Uh, one of the main items for the meeting will be what is happening with the Eternal City building. We wanna update you. There are some new updates that we wanna fill you in on. And so that's one of the main items, but also we wanna highlight what God did last year in 2023, uh, go over the budget and the finances and a few of the things that we're hoping for in 2024. We will have food provided for you. It won't be a big meal like tonight, but it will be a meal enough that you will not be hungry after worship gathering. So if you could plan to stay about 45 minutes next Sunday 
after worship, we would really appreciate that. So we'll break for 10 minutes or so. You could get some food, get some refreshments, then we'll sit back down. And for 45 minutes, we will uh, update all the members and we'll take Q&A as well. So please note that and put it in your calendars. Uh, also, the men's ministry is starting up 2924. So that's in two weeks on a Friday in this room at 6:30 p.m. We meet from 6:30 to 8:30, and that is just one portion of the foundry. Uh, the main thing we do is we read through the scriptures every day together, and we have a group that we meet online and comment and encourage one another. In addition, there are smaller groups of men that are assigned to each other, and these men encourage each other through group text, through through meeting, through uh, praying together, and then. Uh, there is also some goals that we try to set, and there's a book that we will be working through as well, in addition to having Zoom meetings every other Sunday where we pray for each other for 45 minutes. So all that will be given to you in schedule form, all the details. If you could just come, uh, if you're a guy and you would like to join us, this is open to any guy. Feel free. Please come on 2-9 at 6.30 p.m. in this room, and we'll announce that again next week before it happens. Okay, and then lastly, uh, we have a prayer meeting that happens every Sunday here in the building just before worship gathering. Uh, there's a nursery upstairs down the hall, just up the steps, and next to the nursery to the left is what we're calling the prayer room. It's a big kind of meeting room. Uh, if you would like to join us for prayer, you can simply come here to the building at 4 o'clock, and we pray from 4 to 4.45, and then you have 15 minutes to come down, get some refreshments, and get ready for worship. Uh, we pray for the ministries of the church. We pray for God to move in Wilkinsburg and beyond. Uh, we pray for God to exalt himself and glorify himself through our efforts and for our people to grow and for God to make himself known. And so please come and pray with us uh, every Sunday at 4 o'clock to 4.45. Okay, at this time, we are going to begin our worship gathering. If you could please stand for the reading of Scripture, and after we read the Scriptures together, we will launch into our song portion of the worship gathering. Thank you, Gina. All right, church, I don't know about you, but I need to worship tonight. So let's read the Scriptures together. It comes from Lamentations 3, 22 to 26. So join me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, I forgot I had that on. <laughs> Us bald heads, you know, we lose like 90% of our body heat as I'm looking at Tom. <laughs> How's everybody doing? All right? Good, good. Blessed assurance. I started it wrong. I'm sorry. I was going off the A. I got to go off the D. 
blessed assurance, Jesus is
Give God a hand, for real. Praise God. Seriously. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship and praise you. And I don't know about everybody else, but I needed that today. <laughs> just needed that, God. So just bless the rest of the service, Lord. Help us to worship you and learning more about your word. And just move us, God. Uh, convict us if needs be. And just uh, let us be edified and, and excited to, to draw closer to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. What a joy it is to be able to sing with the church the praises of our God and the glories of what Jesus has accomplished for us, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and the hope of eternal life we have in Christ. What a joy. And so as I mentioned in the announcements, tonight is a family Sunday meaning we participate in family worship together. And so all the children will stay here. Uh, the nursery is open, but it's not staffed. So if you do need to take a child upstairs, you can go down the hallway to the back right, my back right, all the way down the hall, up the stairs, and your first door on the right is the nursery. It's padded. There's a lot of toys. There's snacks. Uh, feel free to take your child up there if you need to. But just remember, it's not staff tonight, but it is open for you. Um, kids, there are coloring sheets back there and a ton of different coloring utensils, markers, and colored pencils. And so feel free uh, to get up and to get those. If your parents let you during the gathering, that's, that's up to them. It will not offend me if you go up and, and refill your coloring sheets. That's fine. Um, we're going to jump right in to our Exodus message tonight. Uh, for those of you who haven't been with us for a while or you're new tonight, we are going through the book of Exodus, basically verse by verse by verse by verse. There will be some portions of the latter book that we will condense, but for now, we are going through verse by verse by verse. And tonight, we're landing in Exodus 2, starting at verse 11. And I'm not going to read through the whole text because it's a long text, uh, and it's basically a story. And so I'll read it as we go, and we'll make progress and application as we unpack uh, what Moses has written for us about himself, really. It's, it's almost an autobiography. So before we start, let me pray and ask God for help uh, for us and for myself that, that God might move on us and speak to us and help us in these moments together. Let's pray. Father, what a grace, what a gift to be able to not only have access to your word, but to be able to gather publicly in a place like this and have the word proclaimed uh, without fear of, of being arrested or being harassed. God, you have given us great freedom in this country to worship and great freedom of your word, hundreds of English translations, no doubt some better than others, but God, to have the Bible in our own language in multiple translations is a gift, and we thank you for it. God, would you please help us tonight as we unpack Exodus uh, 2, 11 through the end of the chapter, would you please speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you reveal what you want said uh, in these moments together, and would you speak to each person who's in here? Uh, young and old alike, God, would we hear from you tonight? Would we not hear the voice of a preacher, but would we hear the voice of the Spirit through the Word? Father, speak through your Word, we pray. May Jesus be lifted high, his person and work, and this good news 
of the gospel, may it be proclaimed with clarity. And may it be the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with Exodus 2, 11 and 12. Um, as a help for some of you, uh, I am in- intending to preach a shorter message, okay? I know there's children in the room. I'm not going to do my usual two hours and 20-minute sermon. We'll, we'll cut that in half. It'll be an hour and 10 minutes, okay? It'll be a short one. So let's, let's jump right in. Exodus 2, 11 and 12. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, what's happening here is Moses has grown up. We learn in Acts 7 later that Stephen, uh, one of the seven deacons, recounts the redemptive history of Israel, and he says that at this time, Moses is 40 years old, okay? We'll look at that text in a minute. But you can imagine Moses growing up in the palace with the Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses is a kind of prince of the Pharaoh, and he's been there for 40 years now living the palace life of the most, think of this, in the household of the most powerful ruler of the day, of the time. I mean, tremendous wealth, tremendous delicacies, uh, really anything that Moses wants. What we'll see later is, is the availability of the highest education for anyone at the time Moses had. And we know that because of his capacity to, to write the complexity of the first five books of the Bible. Uh, it, it, many of us don't know Hebrew, and I don't know the Hebrew language either, but I have commentaries and, and scholars unpack Hebrew. And the Hebrew is very complex in the first five books of the Bible. It's not simple Hebrew. It, it is multi-layered and complex. And you can tell from that that Moses was highly educated to be able to write what he did in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books that, that Moses authored, including Psalm 90. Uh, and so for 40 years, what was he doing? Well, he was living it up in the palace. He was learning. He was being instructed. He was growing in knowledge and wisdom. Yet, interestingly, he did not identify himself as an Egyptian. He did not identify himself with the Egyptian people. He rather identified himself with his people, the enslaved people, the Jewish people. Now, no doubt Moses knew the history, okay? How did Moses know what to write in Genesis, right? This is long after Genesis occurred. This is hundreds of years after, you know, the the patriarchs had entered in. Uh, And and so now, how, how does Moses know this information? Well, we assume that Moses knew this at minimum oral tradition, if not written down tradition. And so this is the last verses of Genesis. We, we studied this when we went through Genesis. Joseph, who became uh, the second in command in Egypt, is giving instruction before he dies. Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. So kids, kids, kids. That's a long time. The children also of Macher 
the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, his fellow Israelites, okay, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now 400 years passes, and Moses is born. The Israelites are enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. This is hundreds of years later. And this at least verbally was communicated or was written down in some fashion. And Moses knew about Joseph, no doubt. He was raised in the palace. He knew the history of the Egyptians. He knew about the great famine and all the people from all over the known world at the time coming to buy grain and to purchase from Egypt through Joseph. No doubt he knew this. And interestingly, look at what Joseph said. Joseph said, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. He will visit you, and he will bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call it the promised land, the land of Canaan. Okay? And so Moses probably sees himself in this, God will visit you. Most likely, Moses is somehow thinking of himself as a savior type, as a deliverer type. And we'll see this as this chapter unfolds. Moses is not happy about the plight of his people, the condition of his people, even though he himself was living in luxury. Okay? And so Moses sees this Egyptian beating one of his fellow uh, ethnic Hebrew, one of his fellow Israelites, and he looked this way and that. That looks like this. I don't see anybody. And he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Literally, he strikes the guy, kills him, and buries him in the sand. And he thinks he gets away with it, right? The only person that saw it was the Hebrew getting beaten. And he's assuming, well, this, this man will appreciate what I've done for him, delivering him, saving him, okay? Well, sadly, that's not the case. Because the next verse says, when he went out the next day, and so let me stop here for a second. Moses is going out among the Jewish people. He is observing them. He's spending time with them. He's mingling with them. And he goes out the next day. And behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying they were fighting. <laughs> uh, brothers fight, right? And, and so they're struggling together and fighting. And he said to the man in the wrong. So obviously one of them was in the wrong. Moses was able to discern which of them was in the wrong. And he said, why do you strike your companion? Like, why are you hitting your brother? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. So you can imagine, have you ever gotten bad news and, and your heart sinks and all of a sudden your chest tightens up and it's visceral? Well, that happens to Moses right here. All of a sudden, fear strikes Moses and all kinds of implications flash in his mind. Who else knows? Who's out to get me? I'm in big trouble. Should I run? Should I stay? Should I make up a lie? Should I claim self-defense? He's, he's probably running through all these scenarios 
Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So, so Moses imagines news has got out. It has broken out from just between me and the man I saved. And Pharaoh heard of it. Okay, so now the news gets back to the king, his adopted father in some sense. And he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So here, what we have is Moses, again, imagining himself as a savior, a deliverer. And, and he is going to break up this fight between two of his own people, two of his brothers. And the idea is, hey, like, you're, you're the oppressed here. You're the ones enslaved. Why would you be fighting against each other? You're supposed to be for each other. You're supposed to be helping each other. Why are you fighting each other? And so the man in the wrong, wanting to justify himself, says, who made you judge over us? It's kind of like, who died and made you king? Right? If, you have a, if you have a little child in your house and they're flexing, they might be like, I'm the boss. Right? And you're like, no, no, you're not the boss. You're a child. I am the boss of the house, right? And so this guy's like, who, who made you the boss, Moses? What are you going to do? You're going to strike me and kill me and bury me in the sand like you did the Egyptian? And all of a sudden, Moses, is, you know, his eyes get wide as, as tea saucers, and he is frightened. And we learn that news gets back to the Pharaoh, and Moses is like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm bouncing. And so Stephen, again, the, the deacon, one of the deacons of the first century church, there were seven chosen to help aid the apostles in the distribution of food and care for widows and orphans. Um, in Acts 7, Stephen uh, gets in trouble with the local authorities and with the Jews of that day, and he begins to recount the entire history, the redemptive history of the Jewish people. And he spends a lot of time on Moses, and he gives us more details into this story than Exodus does. It's It's fascinating. And so Stephen, speaking here, says of Moses, when he was 40 years old, that's how we know Moses was 40 when all this began to happen, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand but they did not understand. Okay, so there you have some insight into the psychology of Moses. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was saving them. You see that? Giving salvation by his hand. Moses imagines himself as a savior. He sees himself as fulfilling the prophecy of Joseph. God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. And Moses says, by my hand. I shall save the people. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, so thrust him aside, that would probably be a hard push, pushes Moses who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile 
in the land of Midian. And so Moses is now fleeing for his life, and he's fleeing far from Egypt. And remember, he's by himself at this point. Okay? This, is, this is a dangerous quest for Moses. He is, in a sense, defenseless. He's by himself with no resources. Uh, yet he's 40 years old, and he's probably in shape. And so he's at least able to maybe physically defend himself to some degree. And we pick up the story here in verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Let's stop there. This priest of Midian uh, in verse 18 here is named Ruel, but later we learn his name is also Jethro. Jethro. And so it's, it's not uncommon to have two names. You think about Simon, you got Simon, Peter, Cephas in the Bible, right? You think about someone named Juliet, she could be J, Jules, Julie, etc. It's not uncommon to have more than one name as one person. And so here, the name Ruel literally means friend of God. And so this priest of Midian, Jethro, Ruel, means a friend of God. Now, interestingly, when you look at the history of this gentleman, he was a descendant of Abraham himself through Abraham's wife when Sarah died named Keturah. Okay? Abraham did marry after Sarah died and he had more children. Okay? And this uh, priest of Midian here, Ruel, is a descendant from Abraham. So most likely what we can imagine and, and kind of think is that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of this Ruel because he would have been knowledgeable about the God of his forefather, Abraham. Yet, he does not know God in the way that God is about to reveal himself to Moses and as Moses is going to reveal him to the Jewish people. And so in a primitive fashion, early in redemptive history, this is a priest to the Most High God, but he's a pagan priest. He's not sanctioned in the priesthood because the priesthood wasn't even invented yet by God through Aaron and the Levites. And so this priest of Midian uh, has seven daughters. He, he was fruitful, okay? We learn he has a son also later in the scriptures. And so eight kids. And they came and drew water. So they're at a well, the same well that Moses is at. And they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Okay, now, now for us, this is unthinkable, okay, to have to go to a hole in the ground and pull up water for your daily existence. Yeah, I've been to countries where wells are absolutely essential because there's no running water. And if you're going to get water, you need to get it out of the ground. Or some uh, technology has been built where there's a pump system and you can pump and it pulls it out of the ground for you. But in this day, this would have been like you would think of a rope and some kind of bucket. And you're pulling this bucket up and you're, and you're filling the trough. And if you want a bath, you have to also pull up the bucket. And, you know, I mean, can you imagine living life like that? We could not, right? We get upset when, when the hot water tank doesn't have enough hot water, right? And you start punching the shower wall. You're like, who took too long in the shower, <laughs> right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Meanwhile, well existence, oh my goodness. Like, could any of us survive life in Midian? Probably not, <laughs> probably not. And so here, the, the, the tremendous work to feed the animals, 
Okay, j- just to feed the animals, tremendous work. And here these seven daughters are, are taking care of their father's sheep and goats and, and animals. Verse 17, the shepherds came and drove them away. So these are uh, other shepherds who are stealing the water. They're basically stealing the work of Jethro or Ruel's kids. Like they pull up, they fill the trough, and then these other shepherds come and they shoo them away and shoo their, anim- uh, their animals away and they begin to feed their own animals. But Moses stood up and saved them. Here's the savior again. So, so you see a theme here, okay? Moses is like, oh no, 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 not on my watch, right? And so he's, he's like flexing a bit and he's like, did I, did I just see what I think I saw? Step to someone your own size. You like picking on little women, huh? Right? And he probably slaps one of the shepherds across the face. He's like, I know how to bury people in sand, bro. Don't step to me. <laughs> we don't know how it happened, but Moses is intimidating enough to, to drive these shepherds away. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Okay, so Moses intervenes, and it was a successful intervene. In other words, he did save them. It was a successful saving this time. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? I know how long these things take. Like, did something bad happen? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered our flock. Now, did you notice something there? An Egyptian. Why? Think, why? Right, he, he still looked... Egyptian because he was living in the palace of Pharaoh, most likely, and he probably still had the Egyptian makeup on and, and the gear, and so he looked Egyptian. You couldn't tell him apart. He, he, fit the, he fit the description. He said to his daughters, then where is he? <laughs> I love that. So, so we could tell from just that, where is he, and then what he says next, that this is, this is like a generous, caring man. He's not a selfish greedy person, okay? Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. In other words, call him that we may fellowship and and thank him and and, uh, develop relationship and eat together. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Did I say Abraham married Zipporah earlier? I think I did. Did I? Good. Okay, good. Because that can easily be confused. Zipporah, Ketorah, okay. But I was right. Okay, thank you. So now, now here's what's amazing about this chapter two, okay? We're only in verse 21 and like 40 plus years have passed in a chapter, like half a chapter. Okay? But Moses has this uncanny ability to take years and years and years and years and smash them into like 16, 17 verses, Okay, something I do not have the skill to do. I, I can expand on something forever, but to take something big, expansive, and squash it down, I have to run away to Midian. Like, I, I'm afraid, right? And so it's amazing to me that, like, he's already marrying a daughter. Like, that didn't just happen at the meal. He wasn't like, this is great bread, and oh, I'm getting married, I guess. <laughs> no, this is, there's time expanse happening here. But Moses is just, man, he's hitting the highlights really, really quickly. It's pretty amazing. And so now we're at the point where Moses is married 
And then verse 22, just a verse later, she gave birth to a son. Like, you don't even need nine months in Moses' story. It's just like you eat bread, you get married, and then two seconds later, wow, like, it's amazing. And so Moses is really condensing the time here. He's just giving us the highlights. He's saying he was content to dwell or live with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah as a wife, and she gave birth to a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so Moses is, is now living a whole new life. Okay? Now he is uh, a part of a new family. He has a wife of his own. He has a son. We learn later he, he has another son that we don't know his name. Um, and he is a shepherd. We find this out later in, in chapter three. Next week, uh, Eddie will, will expand on this. Moses is learning to shepherd uh, Jethro's flock, and he takes care of them. Okay, let's move on. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Okay, so that Pharaoh who was seeking the life of Moses dies. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now, who were they crying out to help? Who, who were they crying to for help? The God of Joseph, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Joseph, who promised one day God will visit you and he will bring you up out of this land. Now, we do learn later that there was some, some syncretizing of worship going on. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people at this time were not solely devoted to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were worshiping other gods and idols. And, and just think Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf, if you doubt what I'm saying. They, they, they were worshiping all kinds of gods, but at the same time, they knew about the God of Abraham, their forefather, the God of Isaac, his son, the God of Jacob, his son, by whom they are named, Israel, the children of Israel, and the God of Joseph, who prophesied that one day God would visit them and bring them up out of the land. And so they cry out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. I love that. And so God, in a sense, hears the cry. He hears their prayer. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Okay, now lest, lest we read this on the surface and take it literally, I want to remind you of a few things. Okay? This is figurative speaking here, okay? Because remember, when Abraham was being uh, given the covenant by God before he ever had Isaac, it, there was a prophecy that your descendants will be enslaved by another nation for 400 years, and then I will deliver them. So God saw and prophesied to Abraham before there was an Isaac, before there was a Jacob, uh, before there was a Joseph, before they ever entered Egypt, that Egypt would enslave them for 400 years. And he even prophesied, if you remember way back when, uh, when Abraham was looking out over Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, God had said that the sin of the Amalekites has not yet reached its peak and he spared them for another 
for 450 years, and they will be visited by the Jews as they uh, do their conquest into Canaan, into the promised land. So, so here, God is not like all of a sudden realizing that he forgot about them, and now he's being, you know, he's being reminded because they're praying. This is a way of saying that now is the time that God is going to act. The 400 years was prophesied long before they ever made their way to Egypt, and now the 400 years are up, and now God is going to visit the Egyptians with mighty power and signs and wonders. And ironically, he is going to use Moses as a savior. So Mo Moses, in, in some sense, did have like a savior complex, yet it was real. Isn't that amazing? Yet, here, here's, here's some application. Moses was, in some sense, trying to do the delivering and the saving on his own. Yet, it would be God who would save his people from their oppression through Moses. And friends, I think there's some, some application there for us. Don't raise your hand, because I assume all hands will go up. How many of you have ever tried to accomplish for God something that God wasn't accomplishing through you, but it was you, right? You know what this is. You're like, I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to make this happen. And, and you're going to act in your own strength, in your own power, and you're going to do something great for God. And I don't even need to ask how it went, because most likely it didn't go good, did it? And the same for Moses. When he tried to do ministry, quote unquote, on his own, without God, and without God directing, commanding, and moving through him, it went very bad to the point where he has to flee for his life into the wilderness and hide until God comes and visits him in a bush next week. Okay? And so, friends, I want to encourage you, let us not seek to do for God what only God can do through us. That goes for me too. We, we should not try to do the work of God without God saying, God, look at all that I'm doing for you. Or get mad at God and say, God, look at how much I've tried to do for you. And maybe he's like, I never asked you to do that. Right? Do you, do you think God asked Moses to kill the Egyptian and bury him in the sand? And, no, it was not his time. Obviously, if it was his time, it would have happened then. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? And so amazingly, God can take, what's the word I want to use that's kind and gentle? God can use those who jump the gun and still accomplish mighty things through, like us. Hey, I, I've jumped the gun so many times trying to do for God what he was not trying to do, for, and I say trying very lightly, okay? I am a God's sovereignty kind of guy, okay, figure of speech. I, many times I've tried to do for God what God was not doing through me, many times. And yet amazingly, God says, I'll give you another chance. 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 In fact, I'm just going to record that, and then every time you screw up, just hit play. Give you another chance. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? God is so merciful and so gracious, such that, as we read together earlier, his mercies are made new every morning. 
And so friends, if you find yourself in this place where you've tried and failed and realized it was more you than God, friends, it's not over. It's not over. And it's not always the case also that if something you tried to do for God did not go as you thought it would or imagined it would or visioned it would, that does not also mean that God was not in it and not directing you. God's ways are very mysterious and his purposes are not always seen until much, much later. And then we can look back on the past and see, oh, that's what God was doing. And sometimes I think we won't know uh, what God was doing until eternity and he shows us. Okay, so I know that takes some, some nuance and some parsing out, but I want you to be encouraged at the same time. There are times where we've heard from God and, and we knew that God was leading us, and we did attempt for him, and it epically failed, right? And we shouldn't always say, yeah, I was running ahead of God. Maybe God's purposes were mysterious in that, okay? And so it takes wisdom and maybe even some counsel to know which was which, but I want to encourage you that it's not always a one-for-one, one, okay? All right, let's move on. I want to say more about that, and I will in, in a little bit. And so here, God remembers his covenant. Okay, a covenant is a promise that is based on uh, normally two people. It's like a contract. But here, the covenant, if you remember back to the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch and the split animals, Abraham was asleep because God put him to sleep. And then God makes a covenant with himself and Abraham has nothing to do with it. And so God continues to make these promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And now is the time that God is going to act on that promise. It doesn't have anything in this instance to do with the other party. Now, the Sinai covenant, that's a different thing. Do you agree to do all these? Oh, yes, yes. We, we agree to every word in the covenant, okay, till the golden calf magically pops out of the fire, okay? But this is a different covenant. This is the covenant with Abraham that, again, Abraham was asleep when the covenant was cut, when those animals were cut in half and God passed through the pieces in the form of a smoking fire pot, uh, the, the blazing torch, and, and he spoke the words of the covenant as Abraham slept. And so now is the time that God is going to move and he's going to deliver the children of Israel. And amazingly, he's still going to use Moses to do it. And that should be encouraging to us, that though Moses is literally a murderer, he broke one of the Ten Commandments before that commandment existed, God still uses him to do mighty things for him. Hebrews 11 recounts the Moses story also in, in a bit of detail, and I think this is helpful. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 40 years old, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Hmm, that's interesting. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is this, that at Moses indulgence in the palace as son of Pharaoh's daughter was available to him all manner of sin. He, he could have just lived a life of sinful indulgence. And instead, he chooses 
to be mistreated with the Israelites instead of choosing a life of sin. Now, some of us, we look at a sinful option or much sinful options, and, and we're like, that's luxury. That, that's the luxurious life, a life of unrestrained sin, okay? Yet, a deeper perspective will show you that even choosing a life of suffering and turning away from sin is far better than living that quote-unquote luxurious life of sin, okay? And so here, Moses stiff arms, life in the palace as an Egyptian, and he says yes to being mistreated with God's people. Verse 26, what was going on in his head? He considered, that's to think about, to meditate on, to reason, and to make a decision. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now that's interesting. For he was looking to the reward. Okay, now what, what does that mean? He chose the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, the Messiah, Christ, Messiah, would not come for a long time, 1,500 years probably. Jesus would not appear on the scene. And yet, we know from the story of Abraham and then recounted in Galatians 3, that promise to Abraham was the seed, the seed, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. Remember that? And then Galatians 3 says that God actually preached the gospel to Abraham in advance. And what, what was the gospel? It was through your seed, one of your children, through that child, singular seed, offspring, will all nations, all people groups be blessed, okay? Remember, Christ means Messiah. And so th this was believed. In fact, Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. He prophesied that a prophet like him will rise and will be greater than Moses. And that's why when John the Baptist was being questioned by uh, the Pharisees and those sent by the Pharisees, they said, are you the prophet? What prophet? Deuteronomy 18, 18. He's like, no, I'm not the prophet. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you, who are you? <laughs> I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay? And so even in Moses' writing, he spoke of the Messiah often, didn't he? You remember Luke 24, where the road to Emmaus uh, Jesus opens up the scriptures and it says, starting with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he showed himself in all the scriptures to them what was written about himself. Jesus opening up the books of Moses to reveal himself in there. Now, did Moses have the information that we have with the gospels and the epistles and the book of Revelation? No, he didn't have it. And so here's something important for you when we're thinking about the Old Testament, especially starting back with the second book of the Old Testament, okay? God's revelation is progressive in this sense. God chooses not to reveal everything 
all at once. And he is happy and pleased to let secrets take thousands and thousands of years to be revealed. One example will suffice. Have you ever been confused when reading the Gospels and Jesus does some kind of healing or he casts out a demon and he's like, you better not tell anyone. And you're like, why does he say that? Like, why doesn't, why doesn't he want people to go and proclaim from the rooftops what is happening, that the Messiah is here? Well, there's, that's a multi-layered answer, but here's one of the answers. One of the answers. It wasn't time for Jesus to be revealed as the Messiah on a large epic scale. But there would be a time. Remember, after Pentecost, the tongues of fire come down in Acts chapter 2, and boom, the 120 are all speaking in different languages of all the nations gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And now it's time to spread the good news from Jerusalem to to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And just prior to that, Jesus had said to them, You wait until you receive power from on high. Then, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so here, what we know is Moses knew something of a Messiah, but he didn't know that he would be Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't know that he would be the son of David because David had not been born yet. He didn't know that uh, he would be uh, a descendant of Solomon, David's son. He did not know that he would be God become man. He didn't know. But friends, we know. That's why it's so amazing to be on this side of redemptive history. The canon's been closed for nearly 2,000 years. Friends, we have a complete 66 books of revelation, and we know the end of the story, and we know that Moses, as a savior type, was only pointing to the savior, who would not just deliver a people from Egypt and physical bondage, but would deliver from Satan, sin, and death. And friends, the bondage of sin and death in hell is worse than being enslaved by another people group. To be stuck in your sins and die forever in hell is worse. And so Jesus is a greater Messiah than Moses. He is greater. And so Moses, as a savior type, savior figure, only points forward to the savior who will deliver his people from their sins. Friends, that's us. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. And my hope is that we are all free indeed. We know that freedom that Jesus offers, the Messiah, the Moses type. Now, let me finish. I said I'd preach a short sermon. I will. Okay? At this time, so this is continuing the the speech of Stephen earlier. Quiet, Eddie. This is continuing the speech of, of Stephen earlier, the deacon, okay? And he's finishing the Moses story. He says, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight and was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Now, here, here's, here's the application, okay? Friends, For 40 years, this was happening, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, 
and being brought up as her son, he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now that would be pagan wisdom, pagan understanding. And he was mighty in words and deeds. Now friends, Moses had no idea what God was up to in the background, did he? All this intense training in Egypt, God was going to use for 40 plus years in the wilderness to lead millions and millions of people into the promised land. He was going to use this instruction to write the first five books of the Bible, which have been with us now for like 3,500 years. And they will last forever. Moses had no idea this was happening that he was in school, that he was training for this large thing up ahead. And so friends, I want to ask you a question. What's happening right now in your life that you're like, this is terrible. I don't want this. I want more. I want better. I want the thing. Friends, could it be that God is training you right now as Moses was being trained? And he didn't quite know what was out ahead, but we know what was out ahead. Something big, something massive. Could it be that God maybe won't do Uh, a a deliverance with you of millions of people from Pittsburgh into Louisiana. I doubt that. Justin's like, yes, gumbo, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Okay. But maybe God has something for you in the future. Do you believe that? Do you think he's done with you? Whoever you are under the sound of my voice, he is not. You have a commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, that commission has not died. And it's not my commission alone. It's yours. Friends, we have a mission. And so my my encouragement from this Moses story, as he's being trained for something that he doesn't quite know what's out ahead. I want you to at least think about what you're going through right now as a training period. If you're alive, God still has a mission for you. Otherwise, he'd bring you home. He'd bring you home to himself. Maybe your mission is one life. Maybe. Maybe your mission is a small group of lives that you're going to touch and impact. Maybe maybe your mission is a large group of thousands that you can't even conceive of how that's going to happen. But friends, God wants to use you to expand his kingdom. And if you will be about his kingdom business, he will use you. And so my encouragement is don't despise the now. Isn't it easy to do that? To despise the where you're at right now because it's not where you want to be, right? Every hand could probably go up. Like, I hate the right now and I want what's out ahead. Well, the problem is you don't know what's out ahead and it might be worse. (laughs) But two, could you just enjoy the now with all of its hardships, with all of its trials, with all of its troubles, with all of its struggles and say, God, what are you doing in me to prepare me for the future? For what you want to do through me to expand your kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things that the Gentiles or the pagans or the non-Christians run after, they'll be added to you. My, my imagination is such that when Peter said we are a kingdom of priests, that means we all are to serve God in various ways. And being that 1 Corinthians 12 says that we're all one body with varying gifts and each gift should be used to, to complement and build up the body, friends, we should all be looking to 
use the gifts God's given us to encourage and build up the church, but also to seek and save the lost. It won't be us, but it'll be God through us. And so what is God doing right now in your life to prepare you for that? I know that God has kicked this pastor around, and I'll I'll say it like that, because I believe he's sovereign, for years so that I can identify with people who are getting their butts kicked. Yeah? You know what that's like, right? You can look someone in the eye and be like, I've been there. And they're like, oh, thank you. Finally, some, some solidarity. Okay? Now, would I choose if God was like, Chris, I'm going to beat you up for a little bit, and then you'll be able to identify. I'd be like, nope, I'm going to Midian. I'm out. Because <laughs> no one wants to suffer, but even the suffering God uses for his own good purposes to encourage and bless other people. Is that not First, Second Corinthians 1? The God of comfort comforts us in any affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are suffering in the same way. Right? It's a paraphrase, but that's about it. And so be encouraged that, friends, where you're at is not an accident. Even if you got yourself there, like Moses. Right? He's the one that killed the Egyptian. He buried him in the sand. Pharaoh's got a, a, you know, a sniper out for his head, and he's like Midian bound. He's out. Meanwhile, that was all a part of God's purpose for him. And God would train him in the wilderness for another 40 years. And I'm not going to preach Eddie's sermon for next week. I'll leave it at that. Okay? And so, friends, what is God doing in your life right now that he's training you for his purposes into the future? Think about that. Pray about that. Meditate about that. Perhaps talk about that in your groups this week. And may God use us to expand his kingdom. All right, let's pray and let's take communion together. Father, we thank you for your great grace and mercy. We thank you for this story of Moses. God, how you raised up this this savior, this deliverer. And God, even though he jumped the gun, so to speak, even though he got ahead of himself, God, you still used him. You still used him as a savior, as a deliverer. You still used him to go, go up against the most powerful man in the world and stare him down for you, for your glory, for your purposes. And God, you further used him to guide a grumbling and complaining nation for 40 years and then their children into the promised land, right to the edge, God. We thank you for what you did through Moses and we thank you for this account we have of him. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that God, as we struggle forward, as we wrestle with the realities that we face every day, all of us a different challenge, all of us a different struggle, all of us different temptations and different sin patterns. God, as we wrestle and desire to not be where we're at, God, would you please show us what you're doing in our lives? Would you open our eyes to see your movement, your training, your purposefulness in all of it? And God, would you use us in the future to expand your kingdom, to do mighty things for you, to make disciples who make disciples, to serve and love people as you serve and love people. God, I pray encourage us here in this room. And Father, as we remember the Savior who Moses points to, the one who would save us from Satan, sin, death, and hell, God, would we rejoice? Would we rejoice in this great Savior and in this great salvation? 
Remind us of who we were before Jesus and who you're making us into now in the image of that Savior. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. So as the worship team comes up and as the communion cups come around, my encouragement would be this. If you're a Christian, we would invite you to join us in taking communion tonight, remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, If you're not a Christian tonight, we would encourage you maybe just refrain from taking communion with us because this is a visible and physical representation of a reality And that reality is Jesus, the Savior, his body broken and his blood shed. And so if you don't have the reality of Jesus as your Savior, we would ask you to just pass on the symbol. And furthermore, we would say perhaps tonight as we've spoken about the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Savior, maybe you would like to be saved from your sins. If that's you tonight, then maybe you could take communion for the first time as a Christian, calling out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. He will save you. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And so my encouragement would be tonight, believe on the Lord Jesus and find him as Savior, your Savior. So as we sing, hold your communion elements until the end of the song. I'll come back out after the song and we'll all take communion together as one church. Thank you. If everyone could please stand.
So what you hold in your hands is a physical, visible, tangible representation of Jesus' body broken and bloodshed for us. And as Moses was a Savior who would point to the ultimate Savior, friends, we have Jesus, the Savior. And what you're saying when you take this tonight is you're saying Jesus isn't just the Savior. He's not just a Savior. He's my Savior. It's so important, friends. Personal. He saved me from my sin. And so when we take communion, we are saying the body broken and the blood of Jesus is for my sin. Yeah, it's for their sin too, <laughs> but it's for mine. Praise God. My sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so when we take communion, friends, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. And we do this week by week, celebrating and saying together, Jesus died for His people and Jesus died for me, one of His people. So let us proclaim the Lord's death together until He comes. Father, we thank you for the great grace and mercy you have shown us in Christ. Father, we thank you that we are safe, we are forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future sins. Father, we thank you that wherever we find ourselves tonight, God, you are in it, you are with us, you are Emmanuel. Father, I pray, reveal yourself as Savior to our our souls, our hearts, and our situation, even tonight. God, we all need saved from something tonight. You are the Savior of our sins. You've saved us from eternal punishment, God. We still need salvation from current sins, and we still need saved from various situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. So God, make yourself known to us as Savior, we pray. We thank you that you are the Savior, and you are God who saves. We thank you, we praise you, we ask all this and pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, quickly, announcement for all of you who came after we, we started. Uh, tonight is a family meal, and so at this time, we're going to start breaking down all the chairs and moving them, setting up tables, transforming this room into a dining hall. And then after it's all transformed, uh, I'll give an announcement, I'll pray, and we'll all share a meal together. If you're here, you're invited to stay and eat with us. So please do, please stay and eat with us. Thank you. See you next week.